Coming up, why is Laura Kelly wielding an axe in a crowded grocery store? And why is the COVID-cautious governor now the leading Democrat opposing the president's vaccine mandate? Plus drama in the courtroom, we track the ripple effects of two big cases topping the headlines in Kansas City. And guess who's on 60 Minutes? Mayor Lucas in the limelight. And the rest of the week's most impactful local news stories straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. It's been an extraordinary news week here in our metro, here to lift up the hood, connect the dots, and dissect the week's most impactful and befuddling stories from KCUR News. Mr. Up-to-date Steve Kraske is with us. So is Pilar Pedraza, Kansas State House reporter for Cake TV in Wichita and the host of Kansas Week on Kansas side public television stations, always on call from the Kansas City call, Eric Wesson, and from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. She was the first governor in the nation to order a statewide shutdown of schools. So what has turned the COVID-cautious Kansas governor into the leading Democrat now opposing the president's vaccine policy? In a surprise move, Laura Kelly has declared that Biden's new vaccine mandate for businesses is, quote, not the correct, almost effective solution for Kansas. So why did Kelly go so public on this? Why not call up the White House or speak to Jill Biden when she was in Kansas City a few weeks ago and say, you know, uh, you mean you need to rethink this, Steve? Well, she may have serious opposition to this, Nick, but listen, uh, everything now is political. We are in the political window in the state of Kansas. We are less than a year away now from the 2022 uh, uh, election when she's up uh, facing a very difficult opponent in Derek Schmidt, the attorney general. So she is trying to separate herself from the president of the United States, who's woefully unpopular in Kansas. And this looks a whole lot to me, Nick, like uh, the, the beginning of the 2022 race. Is it unfair just to peg this on an election decision, Pilar? Not at all. It, it is very much a re-election decision. Uh, she has had her hands tied by the Republican legislature, so she's really not much she can do at this point under uh, the Emergency Powers Act, which, by the way, is still in the court system waiting for a ruling from the Supreme Court over whether or not it stands. But uh, there's not a whole lot she can do. So at this point, why not take the step that might actually help her with reelection? At the same time, you know, there is a little something to be said. You know, this has long been argued whether it's better for a singular top-down approach where the same thing applies to everybody or you allow more local control. In some ways, she's kind of stealing the Republican mantra of local control here, saying, you know what? It's better for each state to do what's best for that state than for the federal government to say everybody has to do the same thing. But isn't she an unlikely uh, Democrat to be the one that is now being viewed nationally as the leading opponent to this, Dave? Well, I'm not sure she counted on that, Nick. I mean, uh, she did put out the statement, which drew everyone's attention, of course, because she has been so aggressive on other COVID measures. Uh, Derek Schmidt, her likely opponent, of course, is suing uh, to block the, uh, the uh, private employer mandate in Kansas. 
and across the country for that matter. So she may have wanted to get a little leg up on what he's going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. But my colleagues are exactly right. This is 99% political, forced in some degree by the results in Virginia, where a Republican was elected uh, governor just a few weeks ago. I think she and the people around her, Nick, are reading the tea leaves, and uh, and she needs to really move to the center, uh, her people may believe, uh, precisely because this is such an issue in states like Kansas. Will this cause Eric Wesson, the White House, to reconsider its view that all uh, employers with over 100 employees have to have a vaccine mandate policy in place? No, I don't think that'll change that. Uh, I think they got a big win this week uh, when they had so many children get vaccinated. So I think the White House believes they're on the right course. Nick, there are leading Democrats in Kansas who will say privately that Governor Kelly is trailing uh, her Republican opponent by five or six points. So she has to do everything she can to get back in this race. And this is step one. We're going to see other steps in the weeks and months to come. Kansas lawmakers already also flexing their muscles this week, Pilar. They want to do a special session that could start on November 22nd, which is not this Monday, the Monday afterwards. But what could lawmakers actually do? They have a very limited concept of what it is they want to do. They're looking at just two bills, basically protecting unemployment rights uh, for anybody who loses their job because of vaccines. Very, very narrowly tailored bills that are very specific to Kansas only. Like also the shielding of workers from inquiries into their uh, religious mm -hmm. beliefs as well. Is that, yeah. by making it so narrow though, Dave, is that a testament to the fact that lawmakers realize uh, they may not be on sound legal ground when it comes to filing that uh, federal lawsuit that they filed from the Attorney General in Kansas? Well, we'll see. I mean, it, it, you know, a lot of it depends on what final legislation does come out of a special session, if indeed it takes place, it would be hard for Laura Kelly to veto a measure, for example, that would extend unemployment benefits to, uh, you know, vaccine, uh, the people who refuse the vaccine, Nick, that's just a, you know, that will be a pretty popular thing. The central dynamic, I talked to Laura Kelly about this last week, the central dynamic of the governor's race, uh, Nick, will involve whether this is a national governor's race. That is, do we talk about things like COVID and critical race theory? Or will it center, which will help Republicans? Or, as Laura Kelly wants, will it focus on things like whether schools are fully funded? Those are state issues. And she thinks those are the grounds on which she can make a better campaign. What was the most dramatic piece of news video this week? How about Laura Kelly wielding an axe in a crowded grocery store? We will finally axe the food tax. This tax cut will keep Kansans spending their money in Kansas, not going across our borders to buy groceries. Governor Kelly says Kansas has the second highest sales tax on food in the nation. By the way, Mississippi is number one, but Pilar ran, she ran on this issue in 2018 when she campaigned for governor. So why has it taken her three years to say she's serious about making it happen? Uh, one word, COVID. You hit 2020, the session got cut, there were so many things that were on the billet for that session that never happened and didn't necessarily get brought back up in 2021. Uh, her, yeah, so her, a big yeah. reason would be COVID. Her, her main Republican opponent, uh, Steve Kraske, Derek Schmidt, the attorney general, already had a press conference. He says, I came up with this idea of eliminating that. She's just following me. Well, we could argue all day who's copying who, Nick, here. 
it's going to set up, uh, all of this sets up a fascinating political uh, situation uh, next session for Republicans. Will they go ahead and pass a food sales tax cut, putting 500 bucks, arguably, give or take, into the hands of every family of four in the state of Kansas? Or will they gum up the works and wait to avoid giving Democratic Governor Laura Kelly a big win in her reelection year? And you have the fattest state budget uh, in a generation here, $2.9 billion surplus here. They've got no excuse not to cut the food sales tax going forward. But will they? Will the Republicans give Democrat Laura Kelly a win? That's going to be awfully fun to watch. Eric. And then if they do hold it up, will that make the voters mad enough to change their voting strategies? Absolutely. So people are like, you guys are playing politics with my $500 savings. I'm going to retaliate against you and show you who's in charge for real. Let, so yes. it is a very sticky situation that they're in. Let's, let's talk about those voters. We may not give a lot of thought, Dave Helling, to how much actually the tax is when we're buying a gallon of milk or a loaf of bread at our grocery store. What type of difference does this really make to people? Oh, it's a ton. You know, it adds up. Because you also have local sales taxes on groceries. Those would not be affected. In Kansas, you can spend 10 cents on the dollar at the grocery store, which adds up uh, enormously. The tax brings in half a billion dollars a year. That's how important it is. And the idea of cutting it is based on this surplus that Steve and I have been talking about. But two other points I want to make very quickly. First, Laura Kelly cannot use COVID as the excuse for not cutting food sales taxes. The bill came up in 2019 before COVID. And second, the thing you have to worry about, and we're writing about this too, is whether the Republicans will attach food sales tax relief to other tax cuts, tax cuts for corporations, tax cuts for wealthy people. If they do that, then it'll be harder for Kelly to sign the bill because it will have an impact far beyond just the food sales tax, which is why she's asking for what they call a clean bill. Just repeal the tax, we walk away, everyone's happy. By the way, I did do a little bit of math for you at home. If you are a $100 grocery store bill, say you're on the Missouri side, you're going to be paying $1.22 in tax on that $100 uh, in, in Missouri, and you're going to pay $6.50 in Kansas. So it's $5.28 cheaper to shop in Missouri. We've got people in our viewing area going to Oklahoma for groceries. Yes. Same yes. reason. Guess who has a starring role on the latest edition of 60 Minutes? As many Kansas Cityans were watching the Chiefs take on the Packers Sunday, the CBS flagship news program 60 Minutes was running an extensive piece about gun laws in Missouri and specifically the recently passed Second Amendment Preservation Act that blocks law enforcement from enforcing federal gun laws. And guess who's in it? Meg Q. Our local law enforcement essentially going to stop and think twice before trying to stop someone with an illegal gun? Yes. Now, if you stop someone with a firearm, you may be asking yourself, do I want to be subject to litigation? Do I want to subject my department to liability? And in many cases, the answer is going to be no. Analysts, is that really true? The law sponsors in the Missouri legislature tell 60 Minutes there are many law enforcement agencies around the state who continue to work with their federal counterparts without problems. Which is it, Eric? I think it's both. I think that there are some, and, and I think both sides, I, I watched the presentation, and both sides had great points. People saying that they were still doing it, but there were a lot of them, and I think one of the oldest 
uh, serving sheriffs in the state was saying no, because it's a $50,000 fine uh, if they do participate in that process. Nick, clearly something is amiss here when you have uh, law enforcement agencies around the state viewing this law in different ways on an issue as this important to law enforcement, which involves guns and how we handle guns in the state of Missouri. Even Republican Governor Mike Parson, a former county sheriff himself, Nick, is saying we've got to look at this law and probably possibly revisit it come January. So there is acknowledgement right from the man himself who signed this bill into law that they've got to take a second look at this thing and maybe make some adjustments. I love to look at all the comments that come with um, shows like this, uh, Dave. And uh, when I was looking through the 60 Minutes uh, co comments from viewers, some people were viewing it, oh, this was Mayor Lucas trying to distract here from the fact that we have such a high violent crime and murder rate in Kansas City and using this as the reason why he hasn't gotten things done. Is that a fair point? No, I mean, uh, you know, I, obviously 60 Minutes wants to talk to people who feel that they're affected by the Second Amendment Protection Act, and Mayor Quentin Lucas is as good as anyone else to talk about that, given the murder rate in Kansas City, which, by the way, is down a little bit from last year when it was so horrific. So, no, I don't think that's a fair criticism of the mayor at all. One of the things that I found really interesting in that interview was the prosecutor, uh, I think it was from Butler. I'm a member of two different gun clubs. Um, I shoot once a week uh, at a minimum. Um, uh, my kids shoot. My seven-year-old owns multiple firearms. He said his seven-year-old son owns guns. And I thought, I wonder if somebody in the urban core said that their child owns some guns. As a prosecutor, what would be happening to them after that show aired? I'm sure you'd have the Division of Family Services knocking on the door saying, hey, there's some child endangerment going on. But it just goes along with the climate versus rural parts of Missouri versus other parts, how uh, supportive they are of gun rights, but they don't have the violent crime. Well, this was a week of high courtroom drama in Kansas City. Over the decades, there have been dozens of occasions when Kansas City police have had to shoot and kill suspects. But according to the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office, this week marked the first time a white Kansas City police officer was put on trial in the shooting death of a black man. He takes his left hand with the gun, and as he brings it along up and around the left-hand side of the steering wheel is when I... We come in from all over the country. We're not going to stand still and let this continue to happen to us over and over again. Police detective Eric DeVolcanier is charged with first-degree involuntary manslaughter in the shooting of 26-year-old Cameron Lamb, who was killed while backing his pickup truck out of his garage in 2019. Prosecutors allege Lamb did not have a weapon in his hand and police planted a gun and bullets after his death. Those were some of the explosive accusations made in a Jackson County courtroom this week. But as we wait for a verdict as we record this program, can we expect an equally explosive response? This is not the George Floyd case. Case, and this is not Minneapolis. But if the police officer is found not guilty, will it spark violence? And will it spark a new round of disruptive protests in Kansas City, Eric Wesson? Absolutely. It absolutely will. Uh, say what you want. And then they released a video uh, during the trial that a citizen had recorded that showed that they held the ambulance up for 15 minutes down the street. And uh, the theory is that they were 
uh, planting the evidence then to support the shooting. The police uh, also have a robust defense, though, Steve. What happens if he is found guilty? What is that going to do to police morale in this city when they're already struggling to recruit officers now? I think that's a great question. It's an obvious concern, Nick, given the fact, as you point out, Police staffing numbers are way down from where they typically are, and there's growing evidence across the country that a lot of folks who might have been interested in, in a law, a career in law enforcement, don't want to go there anymore, given just what you point out. Convicting a police officer who's making a strong emotional case that he felt his life was in danger or his partner's life was in danger, that's a big hill to climb for a jury or a judge, in this case, a judge only. And, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath that uh, this officer is going to be found guilty. I don't know what's going to happen, obviously. So I think the community needs to brace itself a little bit if Eric is right. And keep in mind, too, there are two trials going on here of note. If Kevin Strickland remains behind bars and this detective is released and not convicted of this crime, there's going to be a heavy-duty conversation in this community and across the country, and who knows what might happen on the streets at that point, Nick. Can I, can I jump in here? Here's the difference between the leadership in the police department with Forte and Rick Smith. When Forte was going through things where we had an emotional, volatile climax, climate, rather, we had forte that would come in and kind of get the community compare, prepared, talk to the computer community and engage. Rick Smith has said anything. And I think that if there is some pushback, it'll be because the leadership in the police department has done nothing to counter what could possibly happen. This is not the only law and order case, as uh, Steve Kraske mentions, grabbing the local headlines this week. An evidentiary hearing has been taking place in Kansas City all week that will determine whether Kevin Strickland should be set free. If that name is not quite ringing a bell, he's the Missouri man who spent more than 40 years in prison for murder. Six months after the Jackson County prosecutor declared we made a mistake, he's innocent, Strickland remains in a prison cell. Were you one of the men that entered the home? By no means was I anywhere close to that crime scene. As we record this program, his fate remains up in the air. If prosecutors prevail and Strickland is exonerated, his imprisonment will mark the longest known wrongful conviction in Missouri history. But what changes if he is found innocent? Do we say nothing changes because he was caught up in a justice system that 40 years ago operated very differently today? Uh, Dave Helling, you know, the rules of evidence were different. DNA were all different then. Right. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say, Nick, what, first of all, of course, we don't know what the ruling will be in the Strickland case. And what I think will be interesting in the short term is if he's released, whether uh, Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who's a candidate for the Senate, will suffer any uh, blowback for his concerted efforts to keep Strickland in custody and for Governor Mike Parson, who's refused to issue a pardon. Both of those are interesting questions in the short term. In the long term, it's not clear it's going to make that much of a difference. I think one of the things that should happen after this is they need to kind of re-examine how that statute that allows the prosecutor's office to bring these type of cases up. Because if nothing else, the optic of it in the courtroom just looks very strange. It's the state versus the state. You have the Jackson County prosecutor sitting with and acting in a, a great degree as a defense attorney versus the state of Missouri on the other side that's acting as a prosecutor. And all the while, politically, 
Kevin Strickland is caught in the middle because, as Dave said, you've got the attorney general running for the United States Senate. If this was any other time, if this wasn't this political, would he have been gone eight months ago and been at home? In other news this week, your local members of Congress have been back home as Capitol Hill takes a fall break. That means President Biden's multi-trillion dollar social spending package is still on hold. But before departing Washington, they sent to the president's desk a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. According to our friend Michael Mahoney at Channel 9, there's going to be a lot of new money sloshing around Kansas and Missouri in the months ahead. How about $14 billion worth between the two states? So how is my life going to change? What's the biggest difference I'm going to see because of that, Pilar. In Kansas, the two biggest issues, at least in our part of Kansas, that folks are talking about, broadband, that's going to be huge for rural Kansans. Uh, they've really struggled with this, especially as we went to remote learning. So many folks did not have good internet access. It made remote learning for rural school districts extremely difficult. Uh, stories of people having to drive their kids to the parking lot of, of uh, fast food restaurants in order to get reliable internet to do their homework. 70,000 um, people in Kansas don't even have access to uh, internet of any kind. 330,000 mm -hmm. Missourians don't have access uh, to at least yeah. broadband internet. So that is a problem. Where else are we going to see a difference, Steve? You know, there's nothing sexy here, Nick. Uh, lots of traffic jams, lots of cones, lots of rerouting around uh, bridges. <laughs> I mean, we're talking highways, bridges, broadband here. And uh, stuff that we need, stuff that's really important. But in terms of raw excitement here, I'm not sure there's tons of it for most people. Is there the money to pedestrianize yeah. the 18th and Vine Jazz District, Eric? Was not going to be part of this to make it a more walkable tourist destination? Yes, but I, I don't know whether that was a part of the Build Back, uh, Build Back Better bill or it was a part of that bill. Now, just quickly, there is money in the infrastructure bill for airport improvements, and then there may be money for streetcars too. And street particularly car, yeah. the idea of the streetcar in Kansas City east to west instead of north to south, which is now under consideration. So those are all potentially- Going to the airport. Yes. Going and, to the yeah. airport. and making electric buses too in Kansas City, transforming right. those. And can we, Nick, just quickly, when they cut the ribbons on the new bridges, when they start broadband, when they open the new Amtrak train or get new electric buses, remember, Jerry Moran and Roger Marshall voted no, and Ron Estes voted no, and Jake LaTurner voted no, and Sam Graves voted okay, no. Okay, all righty, okay. And, but I did notice there were six Democrats also voted against it, including new Missouri Congresswoman um, Cori Bush. What did Lord she Lord. see in this bill that Sharice Davids in Kansas didn't? Yeah, and Senator Roy Blunt voted for the one yes. Republican okay. who, who, who's on board here. Cory Bush, uh, like other progressives, wanted to see both these bills passed sort of simultaneously here, the infrastructure and the Build Back Better. She didn't get what she wanted. She voted no. Now, when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every local story grabbing the headlines. What was the big story we missed? Local health leaders urge patients as appointments for the kid-sized COVID shot fill up fast. Children's Mercy says they filled up every vaccine clinic slot till the end of the month. Hundreds of students walk out at Shawnee Mission North. They're upset that administrators are doing too little to respond to sexual assaults on and off campus. We're kids still, and we want to be protected by the adults who should be in charge. Kansas City marks Veterans Day and marking 100 years since construction began on Liberty Memorial. A week after contentious school board elections, Olathe and Blue Valley dropping high school mask mandates. 
Kansas City's $1 home program scrutinized. The star claims not one of the more than 100 homes handed over to help the homeless has been worked on. After being mired by controversy, the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department is now a reality TV show. Real PD Kansas City is running on the Discovery Network. He was rebuffed just before his death, now Buck O'Neill getting a second shot at the Hall of Fame. He's on the ballot for early baseball era players, a final vote set for December. You make sure you cross your arms, your toes, your legs, and if you can cross your eyes, cross those two. And can a Kansas Cityan be the sexiest man alive? People Magazine says so. Actor and Shawnee Mission West grad Paul Rudd says he's going to get new business cards made. Alrighty, Steve Kraske, did you pick one of those stories or did you pick something completely different? Pick something completely different, Nick. Uh, the investigative story that KCUR News just put out by Steve Bachrot and Peggy Lowe pointing out that problems in the KCK Police Department go back to the early 1990s. Just listen to this stuff. They were, uh, there's allegations that officers severely beat people in the jail. They were alleged to have sold illegal drugs. There's alleged uh, allegations they committed robberies. New questions about why the federal government didn't step in years ago to deal with a police department that had run amok. And that's why some people in Kansas City, Kansas this week, not happy. They're now getting all of this attention on national reality television. That'd be a very good point, Nick. Eric. I can't wait to read Dave Helling's editorial on the firefighters union chief that collects a city salary while working a job in Washington, D.C. I mean, we talk about budget issues. That's, I mean, I can't wait to read that one, Dave. Yeah, well, it will. You just open your newspaper soon and you will see it there. <laughs> I, I thought you might be backed up on Josh Hawley columns that you wouldn't have time for no, that one, Dave. No, Ouch. No, All right. Him do, yeah, no, this will come up. I guarantee it. And Pilar Pedraza. Well, I got to say, my inner teacher uh, got stuck between two of them there, the school sexual assaults and the uh, school mask mandates, both of them huge issues. We're starting to see the same thing here in the Wichita, central Kansas area, where some school districts, as they've had a major turnover with the election, are dropping mask mandates. A big concern for some parents, because even if they are in line or they've already gotten their kids vaccinated, it's still a good five weeks before their kids are fully vaccinated. And some parents are very concerned about that. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed thanks to Pila Pedraza coming to us from Cake TV in Wichita, keeping you up to date weekdays on KCUR-FM Steve Kraske from the Call newspaper, Eric Wesson, and the stars, Dave Helling. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.